session with Dr. Farid Holakou. Good evening. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Farid Holakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program, and the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Let's get to the books of the week. The book for this week that I'll talk about on next Monday's show is Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. Why We Sleep, Unlocking the Power of Sleep and Dreams. And I've heard a lot about this book as a really wonderful book, a a newer book, I think came out a couple of years ago, on sleep from a leading researcher, Matthew Walker, in the realm of sleep. So looking forward to reading this and sharing it with you on next Monday's show. The book of the week from last week that I'll talk about tonight is Demystifying Disability by Emily Ladau. Demystifying Disability, What to Know, What to Say, and How to Be an Ally by Emily Ladau. Um, and uh, I saw this book. I can't remember who had posted it, but as soon as I saw it, I ordered it because I knew I could benefit from it, and hopefully you can as well, uh, whoever is out there listening, about understanding disability better, and also as the title implies, demystifying disability, um, because there is a lot of a lot of misconceptions, myths, things that people don't quite know, and also just a sense of struggling to talk about disability because we're not sure we're going to say the right things. We might make a mistake. We don't know what to do. And so often is the case when we feel that way, we just avoid something. And that's the problem is that we avoid the conversations. We avoid talking about it. And that itself perpetuates one of the major issues that the disability population and community experience, which is that they are often not seen and not considered the way that they should be. And you might recall, I think it was last year, I don't remember if it was last year or the year before, um, I read a book on the show called Disability Visibility by that was edited by Alice Wong that shared the accounts of several dozen, I don't remember the exact number, of individuals with different disabilities and sharing their different stories experiencing disabilities. And as the title implied, it's to make individuals with disabilities more visible because that's something that is lacking. Now, the book, um, it says what to know, what to say, and how to be an ally in the subtitle, which it does that, while at the same time, even this phrase of what to say, for example, she does mention throughout the book, Emily Ladau, that there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach, or like any community, it's not a monolith where everyone um, is experiencing the same things, feels the same way about different issues. There are people who have different feelings and different um Uh, opinions about things within the disability community, just like there is with any population. Some people might prefer a certain term when it comes to talking about the group and others might prefer something else. And so that's another thing to keep in mind as we're learning about any 
individual, but any group that let's say you're not familiar with or trying to understand better. I see this also happen with things like diversity trainings or cultural sensitivity that sometimes people will learn about a some of the cultural um, tendencies of certain groups, let's say, but rather than that helping them, it almost makes them pigeonhole people from that group because of that. So, for example, someone might learn about the Iranian community or learn about our culture, and then they meet you and say, if you're Iranian, oh, I know that, you know, because you probably had a patriarchal family, your dad had more control over things than your mom. And that wouldn't make you feel like they understand you. That would almost make you feel judged in a way. So I think it's something we always have to be mindful of is that you learn about different aspects of different communities, different groups, but understand that still when you meet each individual human being, you treat them as an individual human being, meaning that you are aware of certain things that you've learned, but it doesn't mean it necessarily applies to this individual and you should make that assumption. And I think sometimes because we want to show we know in a um, approach or a desire to come off as woke or come off as an ally, which comes up and is in the subtitle, we might want to show, see, I know this to prove to them. And so that's where our intentions are very important to keep in mind. Are you genuinely trying to be sensitive and caring to an individual or are you trying to show your own goodness or apparent goodness? And so I I might even do a whole segment later on intentions as it relates to these types of issues. But so that's something that I learned a lot in the book, but I also learned that whatever I'm learning, first of all, I have much more to learn. This is just a um, introduction of sorts. I've had the opportunity to read a few other books related to uh, disability. I mentioned one of them. Another one that I I really enjoyed with was um, Being Human, Judith Human's um, uh, memoir about her experiences. And she comes up in this book as well when she discusses the history of disability rights in the United States. But, um, you know, everything you learn in a book like this is in some ways a starting point or part of our experience in understanding or understanding things better. But definitely we're not finished in any sense of the the word. And and I'll get to that later, but let me share some things um, that came up throughout the book. One that was, uh, for me, was interesting was how you, there's a whole title about, so what is a disability anyway, and then how should I talk about disability? And so she brought up two different ways or two main ways that you can refer to individuals with a, a disability, and I kind of did it there. But one is person first language, or PFL. So, person first language is when we make sure we put the person before the disability. So, for example, this would be saying something like what she has here a person who has Down syndrome or people who use wheelchairs. Also, in, in mental health, we hear this where rather than saying someone is uh, schizophrenic, you say a person who has schizophrenia. So you, we're putting the person first in a way it's saying uh, we're identifying their personhood and saying that this label or this uh, you know, a disorder like schizophrenia or some kind of disability is not their whole identity. So that's person-first language. And then there's identity-first language, which is, um, as she has here, saying disabled person, blind person, autistic people. So the the disability or 
Um, it's essentially being used to identify the person. So it's identity first language, meaning that the disability is there. So it's an identity that connects people to a community, a culture, and a history, as she puts here, that is being used. And now what I had learned and I'd become aware of is that there was a preference towards person first language. So rather than saying schizophrenic, say a person with schizophrenia. Um, and that does seem to be the general trend. However, it was interesting that Emily Ladau herself says that she prefers identity first language because her disability is such a big part of who she is. And so she saw that as making more sense to talk about herself in that way. But she recognizes that many people prefer person first language. So that was interesting to, to hear her account. Again, a clear example of you can't assume that you know because you've learned something about this is considered, let's say, more progressive or a newer way of talking about something, that you know that the next person you meet will want that thing. Uh, that's another theme that comes up throughout the book is that, and really it's true of dealing with anyone, but specifically in the context of disability, to not make assumptions that you know and to ask in a kind way what the person's preference is with whatever it is we're dealing with from how you might speak about them um, to what they might need as far as support or services or if they even want anything from you. Um, that we shouldn't just assume they, that someone wants your help if you see someone with a disability. That also comes up. So that was, um, for me, interesting because I'd seen this a lot and I, in a way, almost assumed that person-first language is the right way, so quote unquote, but I, I, I saw and was very enlightened to learn that of course some people might not, it didn't, wasn't of course to me before that, might prefer actually identity first because their disability could be part of their identity and makes them part of a, a community culture and history as she writes here, which is actually important and they don't want that to be removed. So uh, throughout the book, there are these different examples of certain things you also can say and not say or should say and shouldn't say again recognizing that it's not going to be black and white and everyone feels the same way uh, about it but um, for example using words like normal this very ableist uh, a term i'll talk about later um, so we prefer things like able-bodied does not have a disability things like that also we often will find that people will imply that someone is suffering from a disability, which can be coming from almost this tragedy mindset of disability. So a victim of a disability, and, and it's preferable to say something like an individual has a disability, is disabled, rather than, than saying um, something like suffers from. And sometimes using the words, for example, blind or deaf, uh, I remember when I was volunteering at a school for deaf children, even saying deaf children, I thought because it, it, we shouldn't use the disability word was not the right thing to do. But I learned that, no, that's not the case at all, that it's perfectly actually acceptable and preferred by many people to, to say the actual disability. And actually, there's a, a little subsection here that says, say disability. And it's because so many people are afraid to even say that word. Um, because we think it's somehow not okay, but actually it's important to say that. And sometimes people use other words that are less preferable, um, things like differently abled or handy capable. 
um, which I didn't even know <laughs> was one. And she says they're handy capable. Does anyone seriously use this? Please don't. Um, or special needs can have a certain, I've used that term myself before. And uh, it's, I actually did a segment once talking about how everyone has special needs. So in a way relating to this in some level, but um, that we want to be mindful of the phrases that you use. And also, as I said, you won't know if each individual will like or dislike what you're saying, but we hopefully will approach all of these kinds of conversations we have from a space of I'm still learning because we all are. And I read this book and I definitely learned um, a good deal, but I still have much more to learn. So if we approach from a stance of hopefully good intentions, which I'll get into, but a stance of learning, then we recognize that I'm trying my best, but I'm going to make mistakes. I actually think I've almost caught myself saying some things already that might have not been the best choice of words in this short amount of time uh, and, and expressing possibly ableist language or sentiment. So that's something that we all, and I will, of course, continue to become more aware of and work on and hope people will bring it to my awareness because, um, as I'll get to later, being an ally I heard her say something that ally is not a noun, like you are an ally, like you're done, but it's more like a verb, meaning that you are acting and continuing to act and continuing to be vigilant of how you're acting because you haven't accomplished something or you're not earning some title and then you can retire. You continually work towards it. It reminds me when people say woke. And now woke has a lot of negative connotations because it definitely has gone too far where people can go at times with it. But nonetheless, I, I don't like that phrase anyway, because when you say woke, it means I'm done. I've woken up. I'm woke to everything. And that's it. Rather than you are, in a sense, constantly awakening or need to be vigilant to recognize what you've been sleeping on, because there are things out there that you are not aware of or haven't been aware of individuals who are struggling or dealing with something in a way or being oppressed in some way that deserve more rights um, or injustices that are happening that you are not aware of. And if you think you've accomplished something because you know some of them, you obviously won't recognize there's more work to do. And so for me, that label or wanting to be labeled woke or an ally, it's in a way, one way of looking at when it might be more about you or someone who's trying to be the ally and get that label rather than genuinely doing it for the right intentions, which I will touch on later. But also now that we're at a commercial break, I definitely want to talk more about the book Demystifying Disability by Emily Ladau. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Continuing the discussion on the book Demystifying Disability by Emily Ladau, What to Know, What to Say, and How to Be an Ally. So one big theme that is important when we're talking about disability is ableism. I mentioned it a few times in the previous segment. And like all, a lot of isms, it has to do with prejudice or type of discrimination. So um, essentially we can say, as she does here, ableism is discrimination and prejudice against people with disabilities. But she adds, though, that's not quite enough to convey its full weight. So of course, it would include discriminating explicitly against individuals with disabilities. But it's more than that, because if we look at society, 
it's very ableist, meaning that it is geared towards or favored towards individuals who do not do not have disabilities. And so, uh, so much so that it's often invisible. You might not think about it. And this is what I meant before when I was talking about being vigilant, is that we oftentimes are not even aware of individuals who maybe are being left out in some way or are being discriminated in in some way or don't have access to something because it might not come to your mind because you might not experience those things and it might not be put in the media enough so that you are aware of it. And so we have to, in my opinion, be vigilant about these things because you might not recognize someone or some group that has been discriminated against. And so ableism is a big um, example of that, where it's all around us, but because it's become part of society or how things go, we won't often notice it. So, for example, she talks about how uh, less than 25% of New York City subway stations have elevators. So this is a type of systemic ableism. And so then it makes it so that when individuals... Um, like someone in a wheelchair, like Emily Ladau herself, used the subway. She says she'll sometimes be told things like, wow, you get around, you know, there, or you take the subway, that's great. But we can see that this could be negative in several ways, including the fact that part of what might make someone be so amazed is that it's actually very hard for individuals to use the subway when only about 25% of the stations have elevators. They may not use that type of transportation. So it's not so much that it should be hard for them. It's hard for them because society has not done enough to make it accessible to all members of our population. So ableism is something that is all over the place. I'm sure, as I said, even in today's show, uh, I'm, I likely have already used ableist language or mindset uh, up until this point because it can be so ingrained in us. And so I, of course, take uh, accountability for that and we'll try to grow in that way. Um, but I think it's very uh, nice that in the book, um, Emily Ladau herself says, I need to make a confession. As hard as I fight against ableism, there have most definitely been times when I've been ableist toward other disabled people. And so I think it's so nice that she owns up to that herself, herself a disability rights advocate and someone who's Um, living with a disability. And so she's sharing that she herself does it. So we have to recognize it's not something, oh, no, no, I I, I care about all people or I feel this way or I'm woke or I'm an ally. So it couldn't have been ableist what I said or did because I'm, you know, these things. Anyone can can, um, take these actions or say something that is ableist or take an action that's ableist. And so we have to own up to that. And I think that's where the humility comes in of recognizing that even if I logically recognize something and have the intention to do something, it doesn't mean I'm always going to get it right. Or we should almost acknowledge I'm going to get it wrong sometimes because these things are challenging for someone who, let's say, like myself, who maybe hasn't been familiar enough with with ableism and the disability community. Um, And because it's so much part of society, we're very likely to also... Uh, say something or do something in that regard. So it's a it's a whole chapter essentially on ableism, uh, ableism and accessibility is that chapter that brings some things to light of recognizing that there's ableism all around you. And also part of that includes that accessibility can be a challenge for uh, most 
uh, in many different situations of life for individuals with disabilities. And as I mentioned before, I can note here that um, disability, sometimes you'll even hear visible disabilities and things of that sort, because not all disabilities are visible. Things like mental illness very often might not be visible, but can be a disability. Also, people sometimes deal with uh, chronic pain or different type of physical ailments that might not be visible, but it still might be a disability. So disability is a wide-ranging population, um, including people from all backgrounds and um, genders and sexual orientations and also different variations of disability. So a reminder that it's a very heterogeneous population. I think I heard Emily Ladau say something like one billion people in the world um, have a disability of some kind. So it's a it's a very large population, but still somehow one that does not get enough attention. Uh, that's why I think that book, as I mentioned, Disability Visibility, is necessary to make us more aware of these things, the things that people are going through that you might not recognize. Uh, there's a chapter on disability in the media, and first there's some statistics about how few characters there are. So for example, just 3.1% um, in a study that was done looking at uh, TV shows in a certain period of time, only 3.1% uh, of the characters were individuals with disabilities. And as she puts it, that's nowhere close to the roughly 15% of the world's population who are disabled. So a very underrepresented uh, population and group. And she also talks about some things you might see where uh, individuals who are disabled are portrayed, or you'll see videos. And she uses this term, inspiration porn, which you maybe have heard before. And as she says, it does get your attention. But essentially, it's when we use individuals, including individuals with disabilities, as a way of making them look like an inspiration to us. But sometimes that's predicated on this understanding that their life must be so challenging. And there are ch real challenges they face, and I heard Emily Ladau talking about this. So both of these things can be true, that of course individuals with disabilities face real genuine challenges that are definitely um, there, but they're also very capable of living a, a life that is very full. So it's not that their life is so um, not good or something that we uh, should look as something that they're suffering so much all the time, but there are real challenges as well. And on top of that, a lot of what can make their life challenging individuals who have disabilities is things like lack of access and the ableism that exists in society. So as I mentioned with the subway example, it can be harder for an individual in a wheelchair to get around in New York City, not because having a disability itself has to be such a challenge, but because the accessibility is not there to meet the needs of these individuals as it should be. So, um, you know, inspiration porn, and I've been guilty of it, of watching a video and thinking, wow, it's so inspirational or so beautiful to see someone overcoming the adversity in a certain way. But we have to be very aware of what's the intention or what's being shown here um, and what is making us feel emotional. Sometimes it can be something 
beautiful and it doesn't mean it's always something bad but um at times there's a, as she puts here there's a lack of recognition that the adversity disabled people experience has nothing to do with needing to try harder or adjusting our attitudes to be more positive so sometimes the, in some of these videos there's a presentation that uh what they're going through what an individual might be going through is just something about being positive or changing your mindset or always looking at the bright side and that could be limiting as well um, there's also videos you might see of individuals helping a non-disabled person is helping a disabled person and it is also presented a way of well it's kind of through the lens of the able-bodied person um, being shown as the hero there and the person with a disability uh, you know needing them and needing their help and also it makes it seem like it's a big deal when we help um, one another so as she puts it here um, but the larger issues at play here are the beliefs that one helping a person with a disability is a moment worthy of recording and two this private moment belongs on the news with the focus on glorifying the non-disabled person for being a good person or doing a good deed and so I think about this anytime you see a video of someone helping someone or doing something nice for someone else you also see this for example individuals who are helping someone who's let's say homeless bringing them food or doing something for them and then it's videotaped sometimes even videotaped by the person themselves which just feels cringy saying it but um and then posted and so it, it's very much this way of trying to make the person look good and that they did something amazing and and in some ways the person that they're helping looks like they're being used at some level just to make that non-disabled person or that helper look good and i think we have to be very careful about those things especially uh, um, as she talks about here it's often used or you know either put on the internet or put on the news without the permission or the consent of the individual in the video which i think is very inappropriate and not okay uh, so she does talk about some of these negative and not okay ways that the um, individuals with disabilities are are shown in the media that can be harmful and contribute to ableism and some of the misconceptions that we might have about the disability community. Uh, to conclude, as I mentioned a few times, this term ally, and she actually, it's, it's interesting, she says she prefers the term accomplice because an ally is someone who's just is an ally, but accomplice is someone who's doing and taking action to help and support. And usually we use that word accomplice for things like accomplice in a crime or doing something negative, but she means an accomplice in doing good and in helping. So I think that's very important. And uh, this notion that it's a state that I've achieved allyhood or allyship, um, I think is a problem. And we would be better off looking at it as I strive to be an ally um, or an accomplice. You're striving to and and continue to want to work towards that, but there's no you know label or you can't be bestowed or knighted by the queen to be an ally. And then now you can rest on your laurels if you're genuinely doing it for the right reason. And again, here's where I think that's a distinction comes in. If I'm doing it because I think it's right to, let's say. 
um, support all human beings and having their human rights met and for having access to all of the amenities of life, and that's my goal and that's what's my intention, then the work is never finished until the work is finished, which unfortunately we still have a lot more work to do, so it won't be done any day soon. But if I'm doing it for some type of attention or acknowledgement or validation, then I'm seeking more this identity of being seen as this way or achieving this title that I can tell people or people tell me. And so that's where we always have to be looking at our own intentions in life, that everything we do, you might get reinforcement for it, you might get attention for it, but you have to ask yourself, why am I doing this? What's my why in taking this action? And so if you want to be an ally to any group, it's really important to take a closer look at what are your assumptions when it comes to that? To begin with, why do I assume this group needs my help? And what is my intention? What do I hope to see happen? And I think we have to also be very real with ourselves that it does feel good if we are recognized in that way. No one dislikes being told that I see you as someone who is a gen, you know, trying to help other people or support other people or trying to bring about human rights in some way. I would be lying if I didn't like that feeling if someone told that to me. But that's why we have to constantly keep ourselves in check and recognize, okay, I have to make sure what's driving me, what's making me go uh, in the direction of the actions that I'm taking is the intention to genuinely do what I think is the right thing based on my values of supporting all human beings, of looking for, let's say, injustice in any way that it um, shows its face and to fight against it and to support others in their fight to get their rights and that it's their their struggle to get those rights, but I can help in that struggle. And so I thought that was important to, to think about that in that way. And it's a very hot phrase these days, ally, when it comes to either the LGBTQ plus community, the, you know, when it's feminism and a male to be an ally, or in this case with the disabled community. And I think it's a good thing for people to think about that, to help everyone and not just to think of ourselves and the group you might belong to, but really to be very mindful of what's driving you, what is your intention, because that can make or break what you're doing as being a genuinely good thing, or are you really doing it just to get the approval and the praise from others and some kind of a label of being an ally? So an ally, I heard her say it's a, a verb in her mind, not a noun of something you achieved. And I definitely agree with that, that it's an ongoing type of a thing. So, you know, I, I definitely recommend this book really for, for everyone who just wants to understand how to, you know, to say being an ally, but genuinely being an ally, but as the subtitle says, what to know, what to say, and how to be an ally, uh, demystifying disability, because I think um, it's a conversation and a topic that's often avoided, talking about disabilities, talking about individuals with disabilities. It, it is often ignored and not discussed. And Often one of the reasons is we might feel uncomfortable, we might not feel like we know what to say, we're afraid to say something wrong. 
And I think it's important to recognize that you will. As I said, I'm sure I did today already. You're going to say things wrong. You're going to do things wrong. But that doesn't mean don't try. You have to keep trying with good intentions and recognizing it's a growing process and be open to that growth and the bumps along the road. But if you genuinely think it's the right thing to do, then be ready for that journey. And so the next break, I'll talk a bit about intentions and some of my thoughts on this. But again, highly recommend the book, Demystifying Disability, What to Know, What to Say, and How to Be an Ally by Emily Ladau. Let's go into our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So I was talking about the book today, Demystifying Disability, What to Know, What to Say, and How to Be an Ally by Emily Ladau. And as I mentioned, this this phrase of uh, intentions came up a bunch of times. And what are your intentions? And thinking about that and recognizing them before you take actions or thinking about all the actions that you take. So to begin with, I think that's something that we always need to evaluate about our lives with everything we're doing. And hopefully we live a life that's based on things we intend to do with the right intentions. And you might think, well, of course, if I'm doing it, they must be my intentions and good intentions. But often we're unaware of our genuine intentions because we can fool ourselves. We're very good at fooling ourselves in a whole host of ways. And this can be another one. Oh, I, I did it just because I want to help this person. I'm helping my friend. When it turns out, no, maybe you want to look good. Or maybe you actually want to curry some favors for them from for a future time. Or it could be some of that and some of other things. So we do have to take a very close look and a deeper look. So not just what you do. That is important, of course. But why you're doing it. And you often might be surprised of those whys as you dig a little deeper. It's something that can come up in therapy, and I always find the, the exploration fascinating. And if the client, if the individual is open enough to go there, you can sometimes see the varying layers of complexity of what might be the underlying intentions of why you do what you do. So I think we have to not just look at, well, it looks good, I, I did this, I gave money to this group, I did this for this person. It's a good thing, right? It's nice. And that's enough. Well, it, to me, it's not enough because we want to go deeper and really understand it because you can do a lot of good looking things or things that look good, but for the wrong reasons. And actually, if it's for the wrong reasons, it could be even worse than doing nothing at all. So if someone brings someone else flowers, we think, well, that looks nice. But if you find out they brought them flowers because they wanted to later rob their house or do something bad to them and they wanted to see the place, well, now we don't think that buying the flowers was such a nice thing. It would have been much better had they not done anything at all. So we want to look at the intentions of why we are doing what we do. And really, as I mentioned, it takes an openness and a humility to recognize that sometimes it might not be for the best reasons. Or a more complete way, I think, of saying that is that likely there are multiple reasons. So it's not that you are doing it all for the bad reasons, but there could be some other things. As I mentioned in, in talking about a book or trying to appear like a caring person, I'm sure that can be part of why I might talk about this topic today to be very honest with myself of course I recognize that I genuinely think I'm driven by values of of uh, bringing up topics related to any kind of injustice or any type of population that does not have 
its full human rights being appreciated in the world. So I think there's definitely that as well. But I can recognize there could be multiple intentions or awarenesses or at least unintended consequences that I would not mind that are there also. So we can be open with ourselves to recognize we're complex and there can be a lot going on. So we want to look at our intentions, be aware of them, dig a little deeper, be open to seeing multiple reasons why and not just, oh, no, no, I would never do such a thing or I would never care about this. I only care about this thing or that thing. Now, the other aspect of intentions I wanted to look at is you can have genuinely good intentions and do bad things. So there is that that famous quote of um, the road to hell is paved with good intentions and take that as you will. But just because you have good intentions, we have to be very aware that it doesn't mean you can't do something harmful or hurtful. So this goes back to looking at something like allyship, not as a state, but as a course of action and also a course of learning in the sense that you're constantly trying to grow in that regard and that you'll make mistakes. So, for example, I can want to do something for you. So I cook you some food and I don't know that something I put in there is you're allergic to it and you get sick. Well, I can't say, oh, no, no, but I just wanted to cook you food and I only care about you. So uh, it's not my fault if you're hurt. So that's on you. Well, no, I could say I didn't know. So genuinely, I had good intentions and I didn't intend to do something hurtful. But I learned that something I did was very harmful to you. So I would hopefully acknowledge that and learn from it and next time not do that rather than just be focusing on absolving my own guilt or wrongdoing and putting the blame on you. Even just focusing on blame is probably where we're going to go wrong. So if you're dealing with some issue, if it's, let's say, you are encountering someone from a different group, whatever it might be, and you use a phrase or a word that they don't like or they feel hurt by, rather than thinking, well, you know, I'm uh, I'm an ally, I'm a really good person, so, uh, you know, I know these things, I've studied this, I've read books on it, so, you know, I couldn't have done something wrong, I would hope your mindset would be that even with good intentions, I can do things that are harmful or hurtful. I think I tried to say it as one word um, to others. And that's perfectly normal and natural in how things go. This happens in relationships too. A husband and wife might get into an argument and sometimes they even come into couples therapy and they say, well, you know, she got upset or he got upset, but I, I didn't do anything wrong. And we can see that even if we bring something up with that mindset, our focus is almost solely on blame. Did I do something blameworthy? Am I guilty in some way? And that's the only thing that matters. But I would hope that our intention or our mindset is more about looking at how our actions might have hurt someone. Let's say you bump up against someone not that hard and they say, ow. And then you find out, well, they have this big bruise on their arm. So if you hit them there, it hurt more than you would have expected because you didn't know they had that bruise. Now we can just focus on, were you wrong? Did you hit them that hard? Uh, are you a bad person or a good person? Or I would hope you'd care that, oh, my friend, loved one, whoever it is, is in pain. So I want to help them. And if they're in pain based on something I did, doesn't necessarily mean I'm a bad person or I had bad intentions, but they are nevertheless in pain. And that's where the focus should be. So as we are on this road of 
trying to hopefully be more caring to more people, serving as an ally and an accomplice to helping different people, if that's what is required of us or that's what's asked of us, well, then we also have to be ready to be on the road of making mistakes and lots of them. You're going to say the wrong things. I'm going to say the wrong things and have. You're going to um, say something that's actually really offensive and you didn't realize it. It might put your foot in your mouth. And that's okay too, as long as you keep checking in with your intentions and you keep approaching it with the mindset of, I want to learn to grow to be um, a more caring person. I am a ally but an ally is not a declaration or a station. It is part of a conversation and part of a learning process that I will continue to have and continue to experience. And so the reason why I brought this up is because I see it happen so much in relationships. And we see that it could be partially that we have a society that is so guilt-focused or blame-focused. It could be a human tendency also that we focus a lot on who has done wrong and who is to blame and who should pay the cost for something bad that has happened. But recognizing that just because you have good intentions doesn't mean you can't do something harmful. So if we recap, to begin with, we genuinely have to look at our intentions. And I think actually if your intentions are not good, you're even more likely to fall into these types of traps of getting focused on how you're being seen and that I can't be wrong. So if your intention, if you we really look at it deeply, is I want to be looked at as good, I'm an ally, I'm so woke, I'm so aware of things, I've studied things and I'm going to show that and people are going to see that I'm this kind of a person, well then of course you're going to be even more fragile to hearing that, oh, you said something offensive because like, oh, no, 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 not me. I'm the woke one. I'm the declared ally. I'm the one who... Uh, has done the research and done the trainings and things. So, of course, I, I couldn't have been the one. You don't know who you're talking to. So we can see there it's about you in that moment and how you are seen. Rather than if your intention was on others to be a genuinely caring person, well, then if you hurt someone and your intention is to care, then you're like, oh, whoa, then I'm totally missing my goal. My goal is to care and to be some kind of support or moving in a positive direction. But if I've hurt someone, then that is against my goal. But if my goal is that I want to look good and then someone tells me, oh, no, you did it wrong. Though then I'm like, wait a second, I'm looking bad. This is, you know, this is horrible. This is not right. Something is not correct here. And it can't be me that's wrong because I'm the one that knows stuff. So that could be an indication of part of your intention. Now, no one is going to feel good if you say something insulting or that offends someone. So even with the most pure of intentions, I think that if you said something and someone was really offended or you realize after the fact, oh, what I said was really actually insensitive and I didn't realize I used those words or they came out the wrong way. Well, yeah, we would expect that you're not going to feel good. So it's not that you're not going to care. Of course, you're going to feel bad that you hurt that person. Even it would make sense. It would be actually, um, really odd if you felt nothing at all. So in both cases, you'll feel something bad. And again, your intentions are rarely purely one or the other. But no matter what, you're probably going to feel something if that happens. But really take a look at what is it that I am feeling? And then also, what's my response going to be? Because if your response is to let them know that, no, I wasn't wrong, 
then that's more about defending yourself and how you look. But if your response is more that, thank you for bringing that to my attention, and I will reflect on that, and I will do better, that is more coming from a space of, I genuinely want to be an ally. I genuinely want to be an accomplice and to be of support in some type of a way. So we can all look at ourselves and and see that. So the first step, look at your intentions, recognize that there's probably a lot more that that meets the eye and not just the eyes of others, even your own eyes. And so you have to dig a little bit deeper and be open to exploring that. And secondly, that even if you have your intentions perfectly aligned with what you're doing and it's for the right reasons, it still doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes. You're not going to hurt others unintentionally. Often, hopefully it's unintentionally. If your intentions are right, it would only be unintentionally, but still it's going to happen. But don't let that deter you from going into the space of being an ally, of being someone who cares for others. You're going to get it wrong, but that's okay. That's part of the process. We all are going to do that. As Emily Ladau herself said, she's been ableist herself many times and has recognized that. So we all can recognize that we're going to make mistakes on this path, but it doesn't mean we should not take that path and go down that path to being there for others in whatever way that we can. So that brings us to the end of tonight's show. That was Demystifying Disability by Emily Ladau. The book of the week for this week that I'll talk about on next Monday's show is Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. Why We Sleep, Unlocking the Power of Sleep and Dreams by Matthew Walker. Look forward to reading that and sharing it with you on next Monday's show. As always, a big thank you to Amir here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. Have a wonderful night. Thank you.